heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Well, for sure, the battle continues uh, as we see people all over the world continue to fight for liberty. I mean, the the truckers uh, deal has got a lot of attention. uh, And, you know, it seems like we are making progress, uh, at least on some days. It feels that way. But there is that fight continues. And and it is a fight. uh, And you really can't say my fellow Americans, can you now? Because people listen to this program from all over the world uh, to our fellow brothers and sisters. Welcome in here to the voice of a nation. Uh, this is a Q&A today. We will get to listen to questions and a lot of them, uh, hopefully a record amount and, and get answers for you on a lot of the things that are happening. There's always a lot of developments as well coming along. I want to read you this from Christine. Uh, she says, just wanted to thank uh, Malcolm and Dr. McCullough and Dr. Evely for these Q&A shows about health and early treatment. Thanks to all of your great information. My family and I just got through COVID-19 unscathed in November, December. I could hear your calm, encouraging voices in my head as I first started to panic after hearing my doctor's office wouldn't even so much as see me. Wow. But then I set to work enacting the treatment plan using the items we had kept on hand as suggested. Thanks so much for everything you are doing to call attention to the medical tyranny occurring in our country, and and I would add to that around the world. Please keep pushing, keep talking, and keep fighting. We are behind you 1,000%. You are a true light in the darkness while we fight for our lives, souls, and freedom. God bless you all. Let's get loud. Mm. I'll tell you, I just paused there one second. I just got to tell you all, that message really speaks to me. And Christine ends it with, let's get loud. She, She got the memo here. She got the memo. And I'm so thrilled to hear these comments and responses really give me a lot of joy to hear that. And to follow that up, and we'll bring on Dr. Peter McCullough in one moment here, Marla says, there are not enough words to thank you and Dr. McCullough for courageously standing for truth. That's where we'll start. Let's bring on now Dr. Peter McCullough is here. He's an academic internist, cardiologist, and epidemiologist from Dallas, Texas. I want to repeat that question from Marla. She says, could you clarify whether or not in the vaccinated, if antibody treatment can decipher between whether your antibodies are from the vaccine or natural immunity? Well, thanks for having me uh, back on the program, Malcolm, and it's great to be on the other side of the microphone. Just in response to the feedback, it is overwhelming. I went through an exercise recently to just try to look at negative versus positive feedback globally across the platforms. And I want to say it probably had to be a thousand to one uh, positive versus uh, some type of detracting statement. Now, when it comes to antibodies, recent paper by Alejo and colleagues from Johns Hopkins showed that with the respiratory infection, when they looked at a research assay for the neutralizing antibodies against the spike protein, if someone's clinically had the infection with a positive test and they had the characteristic signs and symptoms, 99% they had the protective antibodies. Those who thought they had COVID but never got a test uh, in that study, 55% had the antibodies. And those who never thought they had COVID, about 11% had antibodies. For this uh, person's question, 
if they were to see their doctor, the doctor could order a full antibody panel now through most conventional labs. And if there were antibodies against the nucleocapsid, that would indicate having the natural respiratory infection. If they found it against the nucleocapsid and the spike protein, that could be the respiratory infection or the respiratory infection plus the vaccine. If they found the antibodies against the spike protein alone, that can only be due to the vaccine. All right, Renee asks, uh, I am hoping that Dr. McCullough will update us on Omicron. Uh, Some of the news media are saying that it is causing a high number of hospitalizations and deaths. What is the truth? The truth is that Omicron is causing a low number of hospitalizations, a marked reduction, a paper by Luand and colleagues from uh, the uh, California clearly showed that uh, the hospitalization rate is just a fraction of what it was with Delta and the other variants. And very importantly, in the Luan study, nobody ended up on the ventilator, Malcolm, nobody. There was only one death with Omicron. I wasn't sure it's really due to COVID itself. So I have to tell you, Omicron's a far, far more mild syndrome. We're managing it at home well. I personally haven't had anybody close to needing the hospital. All right, this next one is from Leora. She says, uh, my question is about the possible after effects of the Omicron variant. My whole family had it about a month ago and it was pretty mild illness for all of us. My husband and I are in our fifties. My son's 14, daughter is 12. My husband had the J&J vaccine July 21. The rest of us have not had it. I know the spike protein from the vaccine, the infection is an issue for heart and other problems. But is this the case for the Omicron infection? Should we be on the lookout for cardiovascular symptoms for either my children or my husband or me? I would say no. Uh, Omicron is, uh, again, a far milder syndrome. It's not as invasive. Unless there's clinical signs and symptoms, I wouldn't uh, go looking for anything more than, than what the clinical expression could be. Okay. Susan says, I heard on a recent program with Dr. McCullough that if one had Omicron and they are immune to Delta variant, the doctor cited a study confirming this. I think he said Khan and colleagues out of Africa. I can't find the study. Can you please send me the link? My 29-year-old daughter will keep getting the vaccination unless I can cite studies. There you go. Yeah, it is Khan and colleagues. It's on the preprint server from University of Africa. And they demonstrated that clearly Omicron generated uh, all the clinical signs of and laboratory signs of immunity against Omicron. But importantly, it also provided back immunity against Delta. And that had to be the case because we basically, in a matter of four weeks, saw Delta completely go away and Omicron completely come in and become the dominant variant. So it had to outcompete Delta by giving immunity against Delta. Now we're through the Omicron outbreak. So Omicron was about six weeks long and now uh, it's over with. And so there's very few cases. So that big tall peak is now done. And and let me just ask you, and they didn't get a chance to uh, get all hyper about another variant, did they? There's a uh, sub-variance of discussion. So under Omicron, there's BA1. That's the majority of the Omicron cases, but there is a BA2 Subvariant, and there are some analyses, uh, one recently from Japan, that demonstrates potentially it's more injurious. We know it does have some code back into it for the spike protein that we can see on a PCR pattern called the S gene. So we know it's back, it's been mutated back some. But having said that, I've looked at the major epidemic curves, Malcolm, it's basically over with in the United States. And you see now broad scale people dropping all these mandates and going back to normal. 
Right. But, but sadly, people are still getting this and people are still hospitalized. And, and you know what else, Dr. McCullough? People are still dying. The mortality typically lags uh, about four to eight weeks after the epidemic curves. So, so in, in my practice, I've had people die, you know, 90 days afterwards or, you know, 60 days afterwards. So there's going to be a mortality. Like I would uh, make the inference that the majority of deaths we're seeing right now are still de- from Delta. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, I got to ask you real quick. A lot of people have asked me or suggested that Delta maybe wasn't part of COVID-19 just as a variant specifically, that it was something different. You ever hear points of that reference? No, it, it clearly is uh, a variant within, you know, the known several thousand variants of COVID-19. Delta was highly mutated. It did uh, its changes in the spike protein made it far more infectious. The thing about Delta, I think, that was very alarming is that its invasiveness and its proclivity to hit younger people. And so we saw so many young people getting hit with Delta. And I think Delta, out of all the outbreaks, was the toughest one. Okay. And let me just tell Susan, who just asked that question about Khan and colleagues out of Africa, uh, I've got to really to tell you, we will put those studies, I promise. We'll put the end notes at the bottom of the show when it goes to podcast. And I, we've had so many requests for this. And I just asked Dr. McCullough before coming on the broadcast that if we can get those links, please, we will put them as end notes at the bottom of this. So know that we will give you the actual link to where that is, please. Okay. Uh, next one is from uh, Patricia. Uh, she says, I listen to the Q&As all the time with you and Dr. McCullough. I am 63 years old and have ovarian cancer. The tumor has been removed and I am headed to chemotherapy. The oncologist has strongly suggested that I get vaccinated for COVID at this point. I'm hoping Dr. McCullough could advise me. I am uncomfortable with taking the COVID shot, but the oncologist has given me reason to consider it. I am generally a very healthy 63-year-old with no other complications. Any advice would be welcome. I think the COVID-19 vaccines, because they are investigational, they should only be strictly used on label, meaning that uh, patients with ovarian cancers, other types of malignancies, they were excluded from the randomized trials. So we have no information on safety among those with cancer. And then we have great concern now, paper from University of Pittsburgh uh, and colleagues, uh, they've demonstrated that the spike protein itself interacts with the P53 and the BRCA gene, the BRCA gene, unfavorably. So there's great concern that in fact, the vaccine could actually worsen malignancy and make it worse. And now recently we have data from the Department of Defense Epidemiology Database that was revealed at the January 24th U.S. Senate panel, demonstrating higher rates of malignancies now among our service members who have taken the vaccine. So um, I can tell you, if it was me or someone in my family circle, I would defer on the vaccine. I'd much rather treat COVID if it came up and not have, have further cancer worries. There you go. There you go. And please remember to write that study down. You just said we'll add that to the end note uh, for um, uh, for Patricia there. Uh, Caitlin uh, says, I got my second dose of Moderna in February 21 and just weeks later conceived my baby. It was an uncomplicated uh, pregnancy. He was born in December and seems to be perfectly healthy, but now I'm learning about how long spike proteins stay in the system. Do spike proteins make it into the baby's system? Should I be worried about his future health? Is there something I should watch out for or have him evaluated for? There are no published studies demonstrating demonstrating transfer 
referral of the um, spike protein into the baby. There are data suggesting the protective antibodies are received by the baby. And my judgment would be if the baby's healthy and fine, that no further investigation would be warranted. But I think this is lesson learned. Uh, we don't have sufficient safety information for any pregnant woman to take the vaccine. Uh, we have now published uh, data on pregnancy, uh, two studies, one by Pinellas, the other one recently in uh, JAMA, which I will supply, demonstrating that pregnancy is a very low risk condition for COVID-19, even in women who uh, were sick enough uh, to be hospitalized with COVID-19, there were very few um, mortalities. I think in the published study recently in JAMA, there were two deaths and, um, and all of that could be implemented with early treatment. So I think at this point in time, pregnant women uh, should not take the vaccine because we don't have sufficient safety data. And not only that, but COVID-19 respiratory illness is low risk and can easily be treated. Do I remember a point you made about the pregnancy that it's, or am I overstating this, that there it's actually a protective measure, uh, the pregnancy itself in some ways. Is that a correct statement? Sure. That was the paper by Pinellas and colleagues hmm. in Annals Internal Medicine showed that pregnant women, because pregnancy is a, is a state of robustness. The blood volume is increased. The, yeah. immune, the immune system is revved up. Uh, and so pregnancy is a robust uh, health state. And so, in fact, pregnant women have a lower risk of adverse outcomes with COVID. Okay. This one's from Roxanne. I have a friend who is in his 50s, uh, not feeling well and worse than uh, in the prior few days. He's experienced symptoms of upper respiratory congestion and cough. A day or two ago, he had a fever at 102 degrees. Temperature has remained under 100 with Tylenol. Uh, he has a HOA fib and, and is on Eliquis. Uh, he, when well, runs five miles a day and is cardiovascularly pretty fit. It appears that he probably has COVID. He is still awaiting the PCR test results, which may not return uh, quickly. He only takes a single dose of azithromycin and the covering doctor told him not to take it because they don't use it anymore. I personally would have had him continue it at least a temporizing measure. He's trying to avoid going into the hospital Hospital. So many uh, can relate to this one. Concerned and wondering if he should go to the ER and try to get the monoclonal antibody infusion. I think ivermectin would be safe for him to take given his uncomplicated AFib. Could you provide any guidance here? Well, this show doesn't provide acute medical care, which is what the listener is really asking for. All this uh, discussion ought to be happening with the treating doctors. I'd recommend the McCullough protocol. This is for high risk individuals, uh, we should be using the uh, nasal and oral washes that should have been done on day one, uh, the sequenced uh, nutraceuticals and supplements, then the use of monoclonal antibodies. Monoclonal antibodies, we have sotorivimab, which currently covers Omicron, a recent EUA approval for a, a new Lilly products. We've got two drugs there. Then we've got the oral antivirals and across the board, they would be safe in, in this case. Uh, the antibiotics, additionally, steroids, aspirin, colchicine, he's already on blood thinners. So um, I'd recommend go to the Truth for Health uh, Foundation, truthforhealth.org, download the home treatment guide, take a look at what needs to be done there, bring that to your doctor and get on multi-drug treatment. Uh, to have doctors argue away drugs right now in a potentially fatal disease is simply not acceptable. No, this one's from John. Uh, Dr. McCullough has often said that the risk of not getting vaccinated was greater than the risk of getting vaccinated for seniors. 
uh, in the attached clip, he specifically says over 50. Has this age for recommending the vaccine moved at all? Would he recommend my 70-year-old parents that haven't had COVID or the vaccine get vaccinated? My parents say they should get vaccinated, but my parents put a lot of faith in Dr. McCullough's message. Um, and um, uh, I'm worried that when they hear his anti-mandate message, they also hear that they shouldn't get vaccinated. Uh, what, what do you say to that? The vaccines are now all considered obsolete. They've never been adjusted to handle new strains. So it's a simple answer right now that, you know, at, at this time, there are no supportive data to suggest the vaccines do anything against the current strains of the virus. So the answer is no. Now, an updated new vaccine that would be safe or what have you, we can look at it for seniors. The Great Barrington Declaration, which came out in the fall of 2020, by authors uh, Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford, Martin Kolduff from Harvard, and Sunitra Gupta from Oxford, clearly stated that a safe and an effective vaccine should be used to protect the seniors. And I agree with that, but the vaccines would have to be safe and effective. Right now, we don't have them. Okay. All right. Dave uh, says, uh, since VAERS, V-A-E-R-S, uh, everybody hear that, is a public website uh, that anyone can contribute to, how valid do you consider the data to be there at VAERS? The data at VAERS in terms of what's available in, in queries is valid. It may represent and probably does represent an underreporting. So I think this is important. So it's an underreporting. But um, I did a query today, so I want to read you. Anyone can use the query tool and uh, basically get the data. It's publicly available. So I wanted uh, your listeners to, to hear this, that, um, that I just queried for death. And the checkbox on the VAERS form, it just did the patient die or not. It, that's at the time it's initially submitted. I just did a VAERS submission this morning. So I had to check that box if they died or didn't die. The number as of today, since the onset of the program, that, that our verified checkbox positive death that the CDC is verifying is 12,670. 6,035 are with Pfizer, 5,200 5, are with Moderna, 1,391 uh, are with J&J, &J and 44 unknown. Now, in the open VAERS system, which is a privately uh, held overlay system that anybody can use, openvaersdata.com, um, that queries the system once a week, and it looks for death or mortality anywhere through the vignette or anywhere on the form, so it's broader that as of February 4th is coming up with 23,615 deaths. Now in the open VAERS FAQ, it indicates 90% are domestic US cases and 10% are ex-US reported through the drug companies. I appeared on a show with Dave Janda yesterday from University of Michigan, and Dave had the Pfizer data. Pfizer had within the first few months of the program, with Pfizer, they had knowledge in their documents of 1,200 deaths with Pfizer. The point is, whether it's 10,000 or 23,000, it's too many. Uh, these are far too many deaths. 50 deaths, uh, any product should be off the market. That's the great concern. People are losing their lives after the vaccines. Mm, that's well said. Uh, Jeff asks, uh, is vaccine-acquired immune deficiency syndrome potentially sexually transmissible? 
I'm in an unvaccinated, I'm an unvaccinated male who has unprotected sex with a vaccinated woman. Am I at risk of contracting AIDS? Follow up very similar to this. Another one from Mike uh, here. He says, I'm 37, not vaccinated and single. I'm struggling to meet an unvaxxed female over concerns of sexual relations with vaccinated women. With the research out there at this point, do you feel this is something truly to be concerned about? So here's another one. I don't. Beyond a month, I, I honestly don't think there's much to be concerned about. We're still waiting for the first peer-reviewed paper demonstrating shedding. There was a conceptual paper by Senoff and colleagues that suggested uh, shedding could occur, but it's actually never been proven. And uh, there have been so many people who have taken the vaccine, and I, I'm not seeing anything come up in my observation of things. So one of the things, Malcolm, I think is important is not is for us not to fuel more fear and more social concerns than are really due right here. I think fine. Beyond a month after vaccines, people should date and enjoy relationships. Okay. This one's from Alistair. Living in the age of misinformation, it can be very difficult to vet accurate and truthful information. On that note, there has been a lot of information come to light about the links between the COVID vaccines and HIV infection. Could there be any truth to this, Alastair asked? I don't think so. We know there's some code in the spike protein that codes for part of a glycoprotein of HIV. We know from one of the original Australian, uh, University of Queensland vaccine uh, program, attempts that all, everybody who took the COVID vaccine in Australia turned HIV positive with that vaccine. It was pulled from development. Uh, but we've had 220 million Americans take the COVID-19 vaccines. We're not seeing a signal on HIV positivity or HIV itself at this point in time. So I would say no. Okay. This one's from David. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. McCullough, for bringing the truth and data forward in an age of misinformation by governmental authorities. Wow. That, just hear what Dave says there, that line, it, it gives you gives you pause probably. I, I have a question about Japan's very low COVID mortality rate. I've actually seen a couple of questions like this we've had. Approximately 17 per million versus the US's approximately 240 per million. Do you believe this is due to their mask-friendly culture when masks don't really work? Or is it due to a different definition of death by COVID or their lack of severe lockdowns and no mandatory school closures? Ivermectin is not approved. Vaccines were never mandated. And 80% of the population is vaccinated. I'm very curious why their death rate is so low. Any idea about Japan? I've heard this question before. You know, I provided commentary on Newsmax with Rob Mitchell at the start of the Olympics. So I looked into it a bit there. Japan is a much older population and they are fastidious. Having said that, chances are that the giant differences in mortality have to do with coding. And there's such a bias in the United States, UK, elsewhere to code deaths as being uh, COVID-19 deaths as opposed to dying of some other condition. So when we see big differences in death and, and we think the, the deaths are captured, the differences are probably uh, with respect to coding. Japan is an elderly population. So in fact, they may have true COVID deaths occurring in the elderly. It's just that the United States now, our CDC director has said 75% of COVID deaths uh, have four or more comorbidities. 90% have one or more in the causal pathway of death. Italy has said 97% have 
one or more in the causal pathway of death. So those truly dying due to COVID, uh, are, those numbers are much smaller across all these countries I've mentioned. Yeah, that's the most remarkable uh, data points I get out of this whole thing, Dr. McCullough, how the numbers were so disjointed, disconnected and untruthful. And what you just say there is so relevant. I mean, because we didn't cure all these other diseases overnight. Uh, and yet they put everything on the COVID line. So it just made this thing more egregious than what it really was, uh, sadly, from the beginning. Now, this one is from Stephen. This has a, uh, oh, he says, I know this has a slim chance of finding you. Well, we proved Stephen wrong, I guess, here. But my wife is a pediatric neurologist at a New York City hospital and is 21 weeks pregnant. We're trying to avoid this booster mandate until after pregnancy. Is there any way your team can help? What do you say to that? You know, I just tweeted about a paper uh, recently published. It just came out and it's on my Twitter feed today at P underscore McCullough MD, but it was a fatal allergic reaction on a booster. Mm -hmm. So it was someone who took the first two shots and was fine and actually died on the booster. So it's just proving the fact that it can happen. Remember, pregnancy is a very low risk state for COVID-19. Uh, there are no proven randomized trials of boosters in pregnant women. There's no overall randomized trials in pregnant women demonstrating any benefit. Uh, we should make evidence-based decisions and pregnant women should defer on the vaccine. Ah, oh, what a great answer. Stephen, that what you just heard is life-saving. Uh, I hope you'll take that advice there. Uh, Christy says, I am scheduled for surgery in April. The hospital is requiring that I have a PCR test three days prior to surgery. I believe I had COVID in January, but was not officially tested. What are the chances that I will have a false positive PCR test causing a delay in my surgery? What can I do to keep surgery on schedule if I have a false positive test? And again, these are the kinds of uh, things that are happening to people and the scare tactics, Dr. McCullough. What do you, what do you say to Christy there? People intermittently test positive uh, for many months after COVID-19 infection. And the virus, in, in fact, is present uh, at low levels of replication. And a paper by Chertow and colleagues have demonstrated that from the NIH autopsy study. So my recommendations are to use the nasal washes, uh, povidone iodine or uh, hydrogen peroxide washes on a reasonable basis. That'll keep the viral uh, loads low. And uh, you know, choose your testing. If there's salivary oral testing, that would be the best. And then if not that, or oral swab, and if not that, then a nasal swab. Uh, the antigen testing is much more likely to give uh, a true negative as, uh, as opposed to the PCR, which is more likely to give a false positive. So you have to navigate your test and I would do the oral nasal washes. Okay, all right. This uh, next one here is from uh, Caroline. Uh, Caroline says, uh, I have a soon to be 18 year old who is adamant that she's getting the vaccine on her birthday. I do not want to, her to get it, but for her, she only sees the separation and peer pressure from others and mandates not allowing her to go to certain venues. Any information shown about possible harm is completely dismissed. Uh, so she, Caroline's, you see the peer pressure put on these kids, Dr. McCullough. So mom, uh, uh, Caroline, is looking for any advice for her 18-year-old, soon-to-be 18-year-old, because she's going to be an adult. and can do what she wants to do, right? It's true. You know, the most common uh, response you get from someone like that, if you want to talk about vaccines, is they'll say, I don't want to talk about it. 
So when a young person doesn't want to talk about the vaccine, that's a sign they're in mass formation, that they're in mass formation psychosis. In a sense, they've been brainwashed on the vaccines. They think it's their ticket to social freedoms. They think it's a one-time event and they quickly learn it's going to come up every three to six months. And it's going to be just a continued uh, series of injection of genetic uh, material in the body. So the first thing is to be able to have a conversation and hopefully you don't get that. I don't want to talk about it with kind of the hand outstretched, which is common in kids this age. Know that uh, the risks are real, that there are official warnings on J&J, which is temporarily paused, but in a girl her age developing blood clots in the brain, transverse and cavernous venous thrombosis, there is a low rate of myocarditis, but it's real. Uh, marathoner Fabian Trump from Switzerland, she's 31. She's got myocarditis. She's triple vax. She is not running now. And uh, the risks of death are real. And uh, I think she has to look at that and also understand the vaccines don't work. So they don't stop COVID-19 now. She's much just as likely to get it anyway. It sounds like she doesn't even care about COVID, that this really is about the, 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 the social linkage, uh, the social contract of taking a vaccine. I think it's a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Catherine says, I'm looking for peer-reviewed research links on the following. Evidence from studies that there are pre-treatment options that help to prevent the symptoms of COVID-19. I heard Dr. Peter McCullough refer to these many times in his podcasts and programs, but not sure where to find these evidence-based studies. A good place to find a big compendium of studies is go to c19study.com, and that'll give drug by drug, and it organizes it into prophylaxis, which is what this listener is interested, what can prevent COVID-19, and then active treatment. So c19study.com. Another good resource for just compendiums of uh, papers is the Brownstone Institute. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have hundreds and hundreds of papers on lockdowns, natural immunity, early treatment, et cetera. I think those are good sources to go to on, uh, on prevention. It just gives you the, the general overview. So if you go to hydroxychloroquine, you know, it'll say, tell you, you know, this is the number of studies hydroxychloroquine has been done on prevention, and this is roughly the treatment effect of you know, what percent reduction do we see with hydroxychloroquine, and the same for ivermectin, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And, and as we go to pause here, I want to read you this, Dr. McCullough. This is from Suzanne. It says, I'm not sure if you can pass this on to Dr. McCullough, but I would like to thank him for his willingness to fight this battle. I know you must be weary from the fight, but millions of Americans uh, are praying for you and giving thanks for the lives that have been saved because of you. I am in healthcare. I have been, I have seen personally both the saving of life and health when your protocols are used and the loss of lives when my beloved patients die in the hospital due to not getting the proper care. Godspeed to you, Dr. McCullough. May he give you the strength and rest you need, and may you find comfort knowing lives have been saved. People are here today because of your tireless work. That's powerful. Thank you. Yeah, I thought so. Um, My friends, that was a powerful message. I I wanted Dr. McCullough to hear that uh, from Suzanne. Thank you, Suzanne. God bless you as well. Um, This is our 15th Q&A, my friends. And uh, we have... uh, I've surely been on the journey here. These programs are the most listened to programs uh, that uh, uh, we we put out. Uh, They're incredible. The information flow in here is incredible. We will put the end notes at the bottom of these as it goes to podcasts. Please, please, please remember this. 
This is uh, information, blanketed information we're putting out there to everybody. Uh, this is not personalized to your particular care. It's for educational purposes, but you cannot use this as a self-diagnosis tool or some preventive thing. You really, really have to do that with your own physician, your own body of folks around you. Uh, that's really important to understand this. You, you can't dive into every particular case here. I know you understand that. It's very, very vitally important. I mentioned that here to you, please. Um, this is important stuff we're talking about. It's life and death stuff. So you have to seek the best advice for yourself. Um, the other thing I want to tell you about is a, uh, a brand, a, a new product and a, a new sponsor here at America Out Loud. You'll be hearing them uh, on the McCullough Report. You'll hear them on uh, the Q&As here on The Voice of a Nation and other programs, my Sunday program, Viewpoint This Sunday. Uh, and it's the Genesis Fogger using HOCL. Now, this is quite something. Uh, and you're going to see more and more and more and more about this. And you're going to want to know more about it because I've looked at all of this and it's pretty exciting stuff here. Well, what's interesting, I'll give you a website in just a moment. What's interesting about this, the scientific findings on the, uh, the, uh, the HOCL uh, and the fogging mechanism with it from the USDA, the NIH, the FDA, the EPA, and all those results and studies are at a website I'll give you now, genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud. Okay, genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud. You'll get all the information that you need on that page. Uh, and what's good is, you remember in the beginning of this thing where you'd get a package in or you'd get something in, you didn't want to touch it and because it was going to be all over the surfaces and well, that ended up not being true, really. And I mean, we were all paranoid to the nth degree and many people still are. They won't touch various things or what have you. Well, these studies all prove that it really was never about the surfaces. It was about the shared air that you, you, you breathe. It's the shared air. The problem is the masks don't really protect that because it's all coming through the mask. Well, this fogger that you can use in your home or your business or whatever it is you're at, it disinfects the whole room. It's like really that cold. So it's a disinfectant, which the HOCL property, which is like incredibly safe, as you'll read all the studies, you can also use this as a nasal decontamination rinse. Instead of the povidone you can use HOCL, which is incredible. And the dilution there is all of that is listed on the site. And you'll see a graphic there, an image where it goes right through the nose on one nostril. It's, it's really looks to be exciting stuff. Check that out as well. Uh, some people use it on fruits and vegetables, even to clean them. That's how safe it is. So our listeners, again, get 15% off. You have to use the code out loud and you'll get 15% off. It's brand new, just been set up here. Um, and it's time to rethink COVID disinfection is the message. You'll hear in the break here, the ad message for what I'm telling you about now. Check it out. Uh, and uh, genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud. Now, I want to remind you as well, listen, I'm, I'm on here with the Q&A with you today, Dr. McCullough. I, I, I walked several miles this morning with my wife. I have her out walking. You know, she struggled through COVID as well. And, and uh, you know the story on that. Uh, but uh, walk several miles every day, get out. And no matter what, even if there's a chill in the air, it's important we exercise our bodies and our minds. And I take healthy cell. I take healthy cell because it's the best out there. I take the multi every day. I take, which is gel form. It's little packages you can take on the travels or whatever. And also I take the AMPM, two pills in the morning, two at night. 
Incredible. I, I, Dee and I, my wife, are taking Focus. And Focus helps you with brain fog from COVID. And that's a real thing. That's long form COVID, long haul, uh, haul is COVID. So I can't recommend this enough, Healthy Cell. You can check out the products when you have a couple of minutes. Just go to healthycell.com forward slash out loud. And all our listeners get 20% off that first order. You can check it out there. I, I've been taking Healthy Cell for four years, well before COVID. There's nothing like it, my friends. So check that out as well. We'll take a pause right here now. And uh, we'll return with this uh, Q&A with Dr. Peter McCullough. Uh, you're listening to the voice of a nation. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. It's time to rethink COVID disinfection. A study by Harvard, Drexel, and Virginia Tech concluded, we don't have a single documented case of COVID transmission through surfaces. The reality is that COVID spreads mainly through the air. Shared air is the problem, not shared surfaces. The solution is the Genesis Fogger, which uses natural HOCL to disinfect both air and surfaces simultaneously. It's perfect for home or business. NIH says HOCL may well be the disinfectant of choice for coronaviruses. There's nothing more natural or more effective. Genesis fogs at the precise particle size to combat COVID and other harmful pathogens. It's what's missing from your disinfecting protocol. Visit genesisfogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a 15% discount with promo code OUTLOUD at genesisfogger.com slash OUTLOUD. Let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Out Loud Talk Radio, this is McCullough Report. Are you tired of your tired vitamins? Consider Healthy Cell. These are pill-free vitamins that are in convenient gel packs. Uh, I like the Focus and Recall supplement. I use this a lot. You know, your brain uses a lot of energy, and it depends on a variety of micronutrients and vitamins. Boost your short-term focus and long-term brain power with Healthy Cell's Focus and Recall vitamins. So go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD, for a 20% off your first order of any Healthy Cell product. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. But by simply keeping our immune system strong, we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. One little known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. American spirit drives the most audacious experiment in the history of self-government. America Out Loud celebrates the American spirit every minute of every day. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. 
join you back on the voice of a nation. This is Malcolm Out Loud here, yours truly. And thank you as always, uh, my fellow Americans and our friends around the world. Thank you for joining us here at America Out Loud Talk Radio. Uh, we are all about liberty and justice for all. That's what it's all about here. Uh, this program you'll hear every day, six and 10, uh, Monday through Friday, the voice of a nation. Also, please make a footnote, the McCullough Report. They play Saturday and Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern time. There's an encore at seven. And let's just say hundreds of thousands of people hear that program and tune in uh, every weekend to hear Dr. McCullough. Uh, our whole program on the weekends is incredible on the Talk Radio Network. Check it all out. Uh, it's it's quite fascinating. Got some exciting um uh, new developments happening to the network to tell you about real soon as well. So uh, be, stay close anyway, so we'll, we'll keep you up to uh, float on things here. Let's get back to the questions now in this Q&A here. This one's from Allison. Uh, let me see if I can't get this out. It's a little bit long, but I think it's worth it. Uh, in the recent flurry of litigation, a particular group seems left on the battlefield. While we all celebrated the SCOTUS decision to strike down the OSHA mandate, healthcare systems were left to fend for themselves. The healthcare students, a lot of students were left to fend for themselves. Actually, that's my commentary. Uh, Allison says, this group includes unpaid medical, nursing, and allied health field students who are required to complete numerous clinical rotations for graduation. My youngest daughter, Mora, is one of those. The pressure on these students is enormous. Not only are they juggling the academic rigors of the programs, long hours of clinicals and often part-time jobs, but this low-risk age group is being forced to vaccinate against a virus that many, including Mora, have already recovered from. Her religious exemption submission has gone unanswered. And last week, days before a new deadline to submit a new exemption form, the clinical coordinator of the nursing program pressured Mora for an immediate decision regarding the vaccine with the threat that she was in danger of being dropped from her clinical rotations. In other words, she would not be able to complete nursing school. And this is so wrong. This is so wrong, this whole thing, man. Um, she's, so she's asking here, she says here in the end, Maura if, if Maura takes the jab in order to remain in nursing school, are there any mitigation strategies you recommend, Dr. McCullough? Would ice pack application at the injection site limit the uptake of the shot material? Would a COVID treatment protocol such as eye mask started before the shot help? Do we know yet for how long the body cells continue to produce spike proteins after a vaccine injection? So you see what's happening here, Dr. McCullough. Allison with her daughter, Maura, is already lining themselves up that they're going to have to take this shot because it's being forced on them uh, based on the studies and what she's trying to do. What does she do? You're right. So the, the really terrible part of this whole vignette is the, the administration of an investigational biologic product, which is not safe, it's not effective, and it's being done for non-medical reasons. That, that's actually the, the really terrible part of this. So it could be losing a job, finishing um, a course without any social contract. So we don't even know if she can get through this semester. Is it going to be another one in three months or six months? And how do you even know? So the advice is uh, apply for full medical and um, religious exemptions. And if not honored, co contact Liberty Council and simply say, no, you're not going to take it. You've already had the respiratory illness. Uh, you can't get serious disease again. Uh, there are no de studies demonstrating the vaccines protect anybody from anybody else. And so you simply have to make the right choice here. This idea of making the wrong choice and then trying to recover from it is just not going to be acceptable mm. because it's going to be a wrong choice that's going to come up every three months. 
These are life and death decisions. I had the same conversation, Dr. McCullough, the other day with my wife. We were talking about it. And, you know, same conversation. I mean, these are life and death decisions that we have to do what's best for us, for our bodies and our mind. There's nothing more important than your health, period, end stop. That's it. It's life and death. Nothing's more important, friends. If you don't have that, you've got nothing. It's that simple. Nicholas says, are monoclonal antibody treatments still available after the government crackdown? Do you know if they are? Yes, they are. So Terivimab and then the new Lilly product are available in in Dallas-Fort Worth. I had a patient call around. We identified some urgent cares with them. You have to make calls. The government is not making it easy to get this life-saving treatment, but monoclonal antibodies are are safe and effective. I use them every day in my practice and they are a good product of Operation Warp Speed. So it's not all bad what the government did. There were some good things there, but you have to sift through the good things and the, the parts of it that weren't good on pandemic response. I'm glad you you went further with that because a lot of folks are asking questions about the monoclonal antibodies because of all that bad press and government uh, story recently there. So, all right, this next one's from Diana. These couple are on long COVID. She says, uh, these next couple of uh, questions here. Uh, My daughter had COVID six months ago and is now having trouble breathing. Shortness of breath and lungs hurt when breathing. Is this long COVID? I'm not so sure. That could be a a pleurisy, uh, inflammation of the line, the lung. I do worry about late blood clots. Had that happen in a patient of mine recently, chest pain and trouble breathing after COVID, think about blood clots. We'll need a CT scan with contrast. Were they okay? Did that that patient get through that that you just mentioned? A patient was found to have it and now is on blood thinners. Yeah. So I'm real worried about that blood. How far after the COVID, like with my wife, how far after when you have it, are we talking, Dr. McCullough? Japanese reported some thrombotic syndromes out to about 90 days. Okay. Uh, All right. I would have thought it was longer. Okay. All right. Jessica says, I really enjoy listening to the Q&A segments and hope you can ask Dr. McCullough my question. Uh, On, well, on the Sunday episode we just did on Viewpoint this Sunday, Dr. McCullough talked about patients who have had severe COVID infections, severe enough to have an urgent care hospital encounter and how they have an increased risk of clots uh, et cetera, uh, after the infection. I'd like to know how many of these people have been vaccinated. In other words, does having the vaccine and a subsequent severe COVID infection put a person at greater risk of a clotting event versus just having a severe COVID infection uh, in the absence of vaccination? Is that data parsed out in the studies he references? That is one of the best questions I've heard recently because it's been in the back of my mind to look into that according to vaccine status. So I'll need to look into that. That's a large Veterans Administration study that we went over. Um, some of these studies are done before the era of vaccination, so we can't bring it in. But let me double check on that. I'll just tell you my clinical experience, and the answer is yes. If someone's taken the vaccine and then they develop COVID on top of it, my clinical experience is that it is higher risk for things happening, including uh, thrombotic events like stroke, heart attack, uh, and deep venous thrombosis and pulmonary embolism. So, I, and, and I think it's consistent with the idea of the body getting loaded with spike protein for initially from the vaccines and then getting the superimposed respiratory infection. Okay, Jason asks, is there a protocol for the COVID recovered so they don't get blood clots, myocarditis or pericarditis? I saw videos online that the spike protein is sticky and causes blood clots. Also the spike protein causes these. So they're asking, is there a protocol? 
the only published protocol, and it's not proven, it's just a suggestion, is by the Frontline Critical Care Consortium, flcc.net. It's called the iRecover protocol, but it's not uh, proven. It's called iRecover, and you can find it there. I can tell you clinically, I would just follow the risks. If there's atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, we use aspirin uh, as a blood thinner. Uh, if there are pleural or pericardial uh, diseases or problems, a typical combination is colchicine and prednisone, and then neurologic, the featured drug is uh, fluvoxamine. Okay. All right. Virginia asked, I just read an article in our paper that said the risk of getting myocarditis is greater from COVID-19 than from the vaccine in young men. Does Dr. McCullough have information on that? Yeah, I think those analyses are flawed. They... Um, uh, what they've found is if you're sick enough to be in the hospital with COVID-19, about half the patients will have an elevation in cardiac troponin, uh, but there's no other um, criteria for myocarditis, no EKG changes or evidence of heart damage by imaging or chest pain. Uh, myocarditis can happen with COVID-19, the respiratory illness. It's at a very low rate. Uh, there have been uh, some studies from the U.S. military and elsewhere. It's very low. The rates with myocarditis, the clinical, where someone's fine and then they explosively develop chest pain, signs of uh, symptoms of heart failure, troponin elevations, EKG and imaging findings, um, that is uh, far more common with the vaccine than COVID-19, the respiratory illness. And a paper by Joy and colleagues from JACC demonstrated that in community COVID, not being hospitalized, that, uh, that they're, they're, in that study, they didn't find any heart injury. So I think some attempts to say, well, you get myocarditis with the respiratory illness, go ahead and take the vaccine. They're just attempts to normalize an unacceptable safety problem with the vaccines. Okay. Lorna says, I am a 68-year-old woman. I'm healthy, eat well, had two vaccines of Moderna in February, March, 2021. I had strong reactions to both shots, 24 hours after the first shot and 48 hours after the second. I will not get another shot. Uh, wow. Fool me once, fool me twice, fool me what? The third time when they say or something. How do I rid my body of the spike proteins that are still in my body? Do I need to get rid of them? Will they leave on their own? And there are no proven methods of uh, removing the spike protein from the body. It's hopeful over time, the body simply clears it. And uh, in this case, if there are no clinical problems, it's just a matter of time. Uh, the farther we get beyond the vaccines, the less the worry there is. All right. William asks, is Novavax safe to use? Novavax is a purified protein uh, based vaccine in a matrix, five micrograms of the spike protein. Uh, it, it created a sore arm in the registrational trials, but uh, beyond that, it looked like it was safer from systemic side effect perspective. However, uh, there are no data with Novavax with the Delta or the Omicron variant, and there's nothing to suggest that it would even work at this point in time. It's probably obsolete. And we know that because the um, CEO and the leadership team of Novavax, immediately when Omicron uh, broke in South Africa, they announced they were changing the Novavax to try to cover Omicron. So that product isn't here yet. All right. John says, greetings from Australia. Uh, is the spike protein delivered by the Novavax vaccine potentially as dangerous as the spike protein produced from the mRNA vaccines? I would say no, because it's a limited dose at five micrograms. 
With the uh, messenger RNA vaccines, we have no idea how much spike protein is produced. We have no much idea how much genetic material is taken up. And it's probably the variation in genetic material that's taken up and the variation in spike protein quantity and duration that determines side effects. So I would say that you have much greater certainty with Novavax that the spike protein exposure is limited, much like a tetanus shot. All right. Last couple here. This one is from Robin. I have no words to describe how grateful I am for your work and your genuine concern and passion to help others. We should all learn from your compassion and courage to stand in the fire with the truth in hand. I love that, Robin. Would you address my question about whether or not the unvaxxed can contract the virus shed by vaxxed? Is there a protocol for detoxifying organs and blood to be rid of these little spiky disruptors? There's no transference of the entire virus from the vaccinated to the unvaccinated. There's only a concern about transference of the spike protein itself. And again, no published confirmation that that occurs. The general advice is steer clear of a vaccinated person in terms of close contact for about a month. And beyond that, I don't have any uh, specific recommendations because it's never been proven that it can actually transmit from one to another. Okay. Sierra says a uh, big thank you for all the, what you've been doing in the pandemic, a, a great message from her, but, but then she says this, I have felt gaslighted by this administration and the mainstream opinion, which my employer and most of my friends have for all of 2021 for questioning the necessity of vaccination for someone like me who is 25 with no comorbidities. Uh, Sarah, we, I, I hear you. We, we all feel the way you feel, uh, especially, she says, with the potential side effects on my menstrual cycle. It was only in December 2021 that I heard you on Joe Rogan's Spotify podcast, and I started to have hope again for the future. That's a beautiful thing. I heard from Dr. Robert Malone's uh, Joe Rogan interview that you are in debt battling the censorship, and I want to donate to help to keep you fighting for and representing people like myself. Where's the best place to donate? Is it Give, Send, Go? Now, I get a lot of questions like this. I bought this in because obviously the commitment here, it, it has, it's, it's not so much debt. It's being upside down. It, it, that's, uh, that's my words. I'm speaking about it. That's what I would say to Sierra is what it is. It's because of the commitment that people have thrown into, put into this, like Dr. McCullough has. So I had others who asked about sending checks through and other things. And I wanted to bring this up at the end of the program, Dr. McCullough, because people passionately care and they want to help. Uh, so the Give, Send, Go, is that, do you reckon, is that the best place or is there somewhere else? No, the Give, Send, Go is valid. It's a Christian crowdfunding site. And so if you give, give, go to Give, Send, Go and you type it in, you see a picture of me on the stage. That's the legitimate one. And I use it for travel. Uh, legal fee coverage and for information technology. And I spend every dollar of it. It's been uh, very, very uh, appreciated. My wife certainly appreciates it because she realizes now that I am dedicating vast amounts of, of my professional time uh, with no compensation whatsoever uh, to try to help America get on track. So it's very much appreciated. Give, send, go. It would be the best place to go. And you'll see McCullough. I'll be, you'll be on a stage there. And uh, it has generated substantial funds. It's generated uh, over 300,000. Sadly, uh, that goes for uh, legal fee coverage, travel, et cetera, because it's so expensive uh, to stay in the media at this point in time because of the heavy headwinds. Uh, there are many that would love to see me off TV and out of the media so they can continue basically a monolithic uh, narrative 
that is not uh, discussed. I got to ask you something. I, I, I was going to ask you this off mic, but what the hey, we're talking now. Let me ask you on mic. Have and you may or may not be able to answer this. I don't know, but have you? I was wondering the other day. Have you ever been contact? Has there ever been contact or any request? I won't say threats. A request. Uh, from the uh, administration, I, I'm just curious, uh, directly to you to say, knock it off, or what are you doing, or uh, directly from the White House itself, anything like that ever happened? Only thing I can tell you is in the first administration, the Trump administration was just the opposite. I was con- contacted by Peter Novaro to help out, mm-hmm. to help out on hydroxychloroquine and early treatment. And through that administration, I was contacted by multiple staffers for advice on treatment. With the Biden administration, I've had no contact from them, and I've only uh, basically had contact from Senator Johnson's office and help with the the Senate panel work. I've volunteered my services to both administrations, to both White House task force, uh, and you know politically, I'm a moderate of interest. I've been invited to speak at CPAC uh, this year, so I'll be in, in Orlando shortly to to give a presentation on early treatment and vaccine safety. Wow, that's that's wonderful, incredible. You see, the message I take from what you just say uh, for listeners is, is that uh, this is not really for us political. This is not a left and right conversation. This is about really and truly humanity. It's about saving lives. It's about helping people. You know, when somebody is in a, a very bad pr- position for procurement, you don't ask them are they a Republican or Democrat or independent. You want to help. That's just that's just good. Uh, you, that's just good for humanity. I mean, I don't know, understand what this political stuff is. You know, Doctor McCullough. The last thought I'd say to you is they've made this so political all the way across the board. That's been the biggest biggest firestorm and problem with COVID that I think has caused so much turmoil and so many. Uh, and it doesn't ever appear to be lightening up, does it? It doesn't. It's interesting, though. I've been following the Canadian Trucker Freedom Convoy yeah. 2022. And then also I participated in the uh, Defeat the Mandates American Homecoming in Washington, D.C. on January 23rd. And across and I recently on the McCullough Report had a report from Mainz, Germany, Christoph Plouffe. Across Europe, Canada, United States, there's no counter protest. So everybody who's protesting for freedom, for freedom of choice, safety, um, medicinal safety, or what have you, there's no other side saying they support the vaccines. There's no counter protest. I listened carefully for hecklers. There were none. So it's interesting. There's no one in Canada who wants these vaccines. Same thing in the United States. There you go. Well, that is a wrap from here, my fellow Americans, and from our friends around the globe here. Uh, thank you for joining us again and being on the mission uh, for this Q&A here. It's our 15th year. And uh, tremendous thank you, as always, to our very dear brother-in-arms here, Dr. Peter McCullough, for sure. Uh, it's all back there at americaoutloud.com. We'll continue to arm you with the latest and the best here. And, uh, and Godspeed to each of you here. Uh, it's time to get involved and get loved.